0: hello there and welcome to yet another episode of Show some Respect Tom Whitcomb is talking this is Tom Whitcomb the guy talking you got it you put it together. You've been here for 66 episodes you know how it is This is a, a rare occurrence in the Show some respect Tom Whitcomb is talking universe. Uh, this is a this is a this is a double record baby. This is a Monday. I'm coming to you live, taking, taking some time off from celebrating the our king's first birthday. Um, is that right? I think that's how it works. Isn't it bizarre, this whole, like, it's not actually his birthday, nor would his, was it his mother's birthday, but we're just going to take the day off anyway, because, like, we need an excuse. Every, if you're from New South Wales, doesn't it frustrate you that we get less public holidays than anyone else and yet ostensibly have the most going on? of any of the states those extra free days are wasted on western australia do they need do they really need any more time to live in perth than they currently do why don't we get it we have things to do here um no it's it's a re-record because yesterday was yet another episode of show some respect tom whitcomb is spiraling for the long-term listeners you might remember there was an episode a fabled episode which was basically just a a live cast of a therapy session with no respondent on the other end. Um, it was really. I. I I'm going to call Lifeline and just hold my phone up. Uh, to hold my phone up to my phone, would that work? I need to get a landline. Hold my phone up to my laptop while I play that episode and say, "Hey, can you just listen to the next 36 minutes and let me know what you feel is best?" I'm going to be over here preparing a bath and some toast. Unrelated. <laughs> <laughs> no, I had a real rough one yesterday. It was not good, and I kind of got to that stage where I'm like well, you just got to put something out, Tom. You just got to make it work. And uh, I basically lost sleep over the idea that I was going to put out whatever the fuck I did yesterday. It was rough. It was really rough. I think I'm going to start a Patreon, um, which is just going to be exclusively episodes of this podcast that I have while in the midst of some mental turmoil. Which won't be hard to do. It, it look, it won't be hard in terms of uh, it'll be it'll be emotionally difficult for sure. It'll be rough. It'll be it'll be. Oh man, it was. I really worked myself into a bit of a tears yesterday, and I don't know why. I don't know what it is. This is, but this is you know the state of twenty twenty three mental health. Um, is it's okay? It's okay to have a, an undiagnosed anxiety disorder that no medical professional can stand testament to. Um, as long as you funnel it into some form of creativity. It's very frustrating there are people out there with legitimate mental disorders who don't try to turn it into art and just waste everybody's time. Um, no, I, I, I really thought I owed it to, I was going to say to you, mostly to myself. It was, I can't, I don't know what to do with this episode. I think I'm going to have to throw this laptop away and start fresh. Oh, Anyway, it's great to be here. It's better. It's better to be here, but it's a low bar. Um I uh I got some stuff to talk about. I got it's I'm gonna hit a lot of the topics that I hit yesterday, but uh with a renewed sense of vigour and um and some self awareness. I'm gonna go I'm gonna talk about I went to Vivid last night. I talk yesterday I talked about the potential of going to vivid. Can you imagine? This is the mental state I was in that I thought, yeah, I reckon I can talk about planning to go to Vivid tonight. I mean, talking about it reflectively, I think is just as tenuous in terms of its uh It's deserved nature as content, but we'll see how we go. Um, I just knew, I knew, I wasn't sure what would be best for it because if you've been to Vivid in Sydney, and for our international listeners, Vivid, uh, a, a festival of arts, light and music that happens in Sydney every year that will, without doubt, leave you feeling both inspired and contemptuous for your fellow man because, fuck, when you're in a group... Of literally thousands of people, do you realise that it is very hard to agree on a tempo for walking, isn't it? Um, you know, it's, it's near impossible, near impossible to get everyone on the same page when it comes to a just general walking speed. And I don't care, I don't care how many limbs you have, it's going to frustrate me. I don't care how. Surely you can hop a little faster. <laughs> and. Uh, so I wasn't sure whether I was best to to just speculate about how much I would hate my fellow man after going to Vivid or to report back. And if, as it turns out, I'm going to be reporting back. Um, we're also going to talk, well, you know what we're not going to talk about, what happened in the Hunter Valley literally three hours ago, because that seems a little bit too fresh. You hear about a, a, a party bus in the Hunter Valley going to a wedding and I'm like, well, I can't make fun of that because just demographically, I'm probably going to be at least one one degree of separation away from someone on that bus, one hundred percent. There's just no way. There's just it. Oh, there is something about just the fact that every New South Wales politician has like run to this thing They're like, well, we need to get on top of this. Uh, this is our core constituency. Um, and then, <laughs> what else was I going to talk about? Uh, just other things happened. Vivid. I got to I got to perform with Mark Normand this week. Uh, as from my perspective, famous comedian Mark Norman, but from uh, the perspective of my uh, colleagues and a lot of my friends, um, as they call him, who? No idea. No idea. I, it's very frustrating and very embarrassing when you go to brag about something before realizing the thing you're bragging about means nothing to the person on the other side. You, meanwhile, they know who Matt Reif is. Fucking Matt Reif. God damn. Matt Reif, for those unaware, and I'm glad. I hope if you're listening to this, you don't know who Matt Reif is. I'd like you to know who Mark Norman is, but it's more important to me you don't know who Matt Reif is. It's just like, he's, he's pretty much basically, Matt Reif is the, the culmination of all of the things um, that that uh, make me shudder at the idea of, of Instagram Reels. Because don't get me wrong, Instagram Reels, for the, for the most, no, definitely not for the most part, at times, um, provide some value. But a lot of the time, just, I mean, second-rate stand-up comedy crowd work. A lot of what do you do? Are you guys together? How long you have been dating? Tinder, etc. And um, people attractive, and pe- people attract people attractive, people attractive people who are attractive, uh, and that being enough to to solicit many eyeballs. And Matt Rife is the conflation of those two things. He just, he looks like if you searched, if, if you put fuckboy into a an AI image generator, it would be Matt Reif. And, and it's basically, his most viral clips are him like being sexually suggestive towards seven-year-old women. And th- this is the weird thing as well, because stand-up comedy, you are surprisingly close to success. There is, nowhere is the gap between Total failure and the utmost success, shorter than in stand-up comedy. In that, I mean, look, I, I a lot of people performed on lineups with Mark Norman this week who were not on the path to anything really, and that's fine. It's not a problem, but it's just it's bizarre, isn't it? Because Mark Norman did some gigs in Sydney while he was here this week, and for those unaware, Mark Norman, great comedian, bit on Netflix, bit on the Joe Rogan podcast several times. Um, kind of held up as, as one of this you know next generation of New York-based comics. He did some gigs in Sydney, which, you know, look, at times in, in, in my moments of hubris, I believe are below me. And I'm saying that with full awareness. I'm wrong, by the way. I know that. They are not below. They're exactly my station, in fact. But he did them despite being global superstar, sold out the Enmore Theatre three times. He's still showing up at... I'm not going to say the name, and that means he shared the stage with some people who, uh, let's be honest, filling numbers. people like my nemesis, who I will continue to not really bring up but allude to throughout the, the rest of this podcast, who were going nowhere. and um, and yet, think about any other any other artistic pursuit, there is just no way that anyone gets that close to their heroes in the world of acting, you know. Unless you're willing to work the craft service table at Fox Studios, you're never going to be, oh, I, I, I'm terrible at this and I'm going nowhere, but I am sharing the stage with uh, Matthew McConaughey this weekend. And uh, yes, for those playing at home, Matthew McConaughey is my go-to example of world-class acting. Well, he did win an Oscar. Tom, what are you doing? Pick it. Pick a direction and stick with it. Either attack Matthew McConaughey or compliment him. Don't, don't sit in the middle. So I feel bad. Maybe I shouldn't be attacking Matt Reif. Maybe I shouldn't be. And I'm not... Am I really attacking... I just... I'm just not in... I'm I'm disappointed. This is all it is. I'm disappointed that so many people who I've spoken to don't know the name of my hero, but do know the name Matt Reif. But maybe I'm expecting too much of the guys who own my gym. <laughs> That's legitimately who I'm talking about here, by the way. I'm talking about... Uh, no, let's not get into that. I can't drag them through this. Look, if you if you like Matt Rife, good for you. I guess, but if you but check out Mark Normand. He's so good. I got to perform on the same bill as him this week, and uh, I was so nervous. I was like, oh man. I, I don't know if I've talked about this on the podcast before, but I feel like I should because it's a, a real truth of my life. Is um, as you may have picked up as I lift the lid on a little bit of my uh, mental health concerns. Um, I get a sore tummy sometimes, um, for no real reason. And remember, Movember is not too far away, and you're looking out for people like me who get sore tummies occasionally. Um, <laughs> um, so, uh, I, but 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 one of my saving graces is stand-up comedy for two reasons. Number one. It serves as a huge adrenaline dump, so it just kind of burns out a lot of anxious energy, which is just so important for me to be able to do from time to time. And number two, before I get on stage, I do the most horrendous nervous shits, and they just clear me out. It is—it's like I'm—I'm I'm having a—I'm having a self-induced enema three nights a week. It's—it's it's glorious. It's fantastic for me, and. Um, I was. There was a lot of that happening just because I knew Mark Norman may or may not be in the room with me shortly. And my friend Anthony Skinner was running the gig that Norman was going to be on. He was at a different gig beforehand, and I was on. So Norman was was running around. I know I'm talking about this guy. Some of you will have no idea who this is, but just trust me when I say this is, this is a deal. Norman was uh, there with his opener, a guy called Andrew Youngblood, and then his wife, a woman named Mae Martin, both comics. And uh, they were basically traveling around Sydney, gigging together. And so the three of them were the last three on at this gig that I was at, Harry's, Harpoon Harry's at Surrey Hills on a Monday night. And I was the last one on before them. I don't know if that was intentional or not, but Skinner had done me an absolute solid, giving me the best chance of getting on in front of this guy. And I just, look, don't get me wrong. There was a part of me. There was certainly a little part of me which was like maybe, just maybe, I'll be so good. Not only will he ask me to perform with him at the end more, he won't ask me to open for him. He'll say, hey, maybe, Tom, I know, I know they've bought tickets to see me, but what if I open for you? <laughs> what, if, what if I say, hey, guys, I know you bought tickets to see Mark Norman for an hour, but you're going to have to trust me. I've seen the future, and he wears a suit on stage. Um, I didn't wear the suit on stage. I, cow- I cowered it out. Uh, I, if I was like, I can't, I can't be doing that. I can't be gimmicking it up in front of this guy. So, um, I was a little bit, there was a tiny bit of me. It was like, maybe there will be legitimate and uh, you know, I'm joking about that, but you know, consequences, maybe there'll be a thing. Maybe he'll say, Oh, I need an open tomorrow night. Maybe he'll remember me if I ever find myself in New York, that sort of thing, you know? Um, but for the most part, I just wanted to impress the guy. I got to say, there are some moments I've had where I've had I've I've impressed comedians that I respect. One in particular, who I won't name because I just can't I can't deal with him potentially knowing this would be out there. But I remember a friend of mine uh, being on a gig with this guy. Being being on a gig with this guy who who was one of my favorite comedians, and um, yeah, I think it was one of the first times we'd been on a bill together. And I did my set and I did pretty well. And I came off stage and my friend pulled me aside. And I was like, "Hey, I got I got to tell you something. You're gonna love." The, com- the, the comic, the, the one that I love, the, the comic that I uh, really respect, he's like, that guy, he he loved your set. He was laughing heaps. It was like being out on a night out with some friends and having your friend pull you aside and say, hey, you know the hot girl? She wants to have sex with you. That's how I felt, but ten times better. I literally like did the Brett Lee starting up the lawnmower uh, wicket celebration. That's how good it felt. Um, so that's, that's all I really want. I just wanted to, I wanted to get in front of this guy. I wanted to do well. I, I tailored my set to the things I thought he would like. That's how pathetic I am. And, um, we're sitting there. I'm so nervous waiting to go on. There are so many comics in the room because everyone wants to see this guy and get their, you know, get their couple of seconds of, uh, of, of attention. And he rocks up literally just before I go on, like seven comics gone before me. Then it's my turn. Just as I'm about to go on, he rocks up. I can barely look at him. I'm like, I can't do this. I can't do this right now. And I go on stage and I get up and there's a big commotion at the back of the room as as this guy arrives and some of the comics are saying hello and all that sort of stuff. And it is totally distracting any focus towards my set. And immediately I'm on stage and I am not doing great. And let me reiterate, I picked my best. Best ten minutes. I'm like, this is the solid gold. I'm doing greatest hits the next ten minutes. This lucky crowd is going to bathe in the glow that is that is exclusively created for for a different comedian who I'm trying to impress. And I get on stage, and it's and I'm I'm not bombing, but it's not totally far off. And I'm like, oh yeah, I hadn't considered the fact this might go horrifically. I hadn't I hadn't thought about the fact that there's a chance. That the worst case scenario isn't just not being asked to open from the Endmore Theatre, but embarrassing myself. Oh yeah, I forgot how that's the way stand-up comedy works. How every single night you're going out there, risking the chance to to set yourself, your self love, and your self respect at a new low. That's that is the stand-up comedian's lifestyle, by the way. Just so, your your self respect, your level of, uh, of, of of value you place on yourself is constantly up for grabs. Um. anyway, things settle down at the back. He gets out. I'm kind of finding my rhythm. It's going okay. It's going okay. I get towards the end, and uh, I uh, I start a new bit. It's a little bit on the edgy side. I thought that he might like it. It lands. Crowd goes well. Crowd goes into it. They, they laugh. It goes well with them. And then I hear, as the crowd dies down, I hear a laugh, which is 100% Mark Normans. I just know it. I know it internally. I didn't know that I, I didn't know that I knew it, but I, I did, I did know it. And my mind goes blank. As <laughs> I was like, oh my God, not only is he here and listening, he's liking it. Fuck what happens next. I can't remember the next bit of the joke to say, like, this is this classic thing of being on stage where time just slows down and you think it's going to take, f- you think that you've been up there for minutes handering about waiting for the next thing in reality it's been about half a second anyway i restart the joke i miss a whole section of it uh, and 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 realize halfway through the next bit that i am missing the bit i'm meant to be talking about it's oh it still goes well i get two more laughs out of them it makes my year i was so stoked in it i finished on a decent note and i got off and uh, as i went off the MC goes, Tom, Whitcomb, everybody, and I see Mark Norman just do a little, just a little, just a little fist pump in the air, just a little like fist pump in, rea- in reaction to my name. Not a fist bump. There was no contact. We 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 did not talk or or, or touch. Would have loved to touch. <laughs> None of that. No photo. Nothing. But he saw my set. I heard three laughs. I got a little fist bump from him. That is uh is a fist pump. I should say. I need to need to need to clarify that. That fist pump is playing over and over in my mind like a GIF. I can't get it out of there. It's the best. Oh, that was so good. Didn't get to ask. Didn't get asked to open for him. Not yet. We'll find out. We'll, you know, another day, another day. It'll happen. Ah, oh, good times. Um, what else is there to talk about? I'm I'm gigging less at the moment, which is kind of weird for me. I don't have any gigs booked this week or next. I don't think because I have this other like creative project I'm working on at the moment, which has taken up a lot of my spare time. It feels weird. I feel like I'm just, I've been pretty committed to stand up. I mean, since I started, what, si- almost six years ago, uh, I was a little bit iffy at the start, but after the first year or two, I've been really just, ra- just revving it up, ranking it up. I don't like any of those words. I've I've been slowly increasing my commitment. Is that any better? Oh, sounds like I'm reading out of a, an electronics manual. I've been slowly increasing my commitment to the craft of stand-up comedy and um, taking some time off to work on some other stuff. It feels odd. It feels very, very odd. Uh, but it does mean that I have less and less stuff to talk about on this podcast because, as I said, I mean the 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 flip of every night of the week going out there knowing that uh, you might hate your, you might find that you hadn't even scratched the surface of how much you hate yourself. Um, based on the way that a bunch of drunks in a pub on a Tuesday night reacted to you um the flip of that is it does make for things you can talk about in a podcast for 27 minutes plus padding <laughs> um but uh so what I so i, I what I did do though is I, I went to vivid last night and um what an experience here's what I got to say about vivid vivid uh i I went and I was like huh This was fine, and I'll say this about Vivid Sydney. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me seven times. I have been to that festival so many times, and pretty much every instance of going not under the influence of drugs, pretty mediocre, if I'm honest. And yet I keep rocking up. I keep showing up. Every year that there isn't a, an international pandemic, I'm there being like, maybe they found a new way to to project light onto a building that'll really wow me. I did miss the drone show, who's so maybe I need to duck back. The drone show is back on tonight. Maybe I do need to check that out before I can really write the entire festival off for another eleven months and twenty eight days before I go again. Oh, I, <laughs> the fucking be, We got the ferry into the city and just watching. People record Vivid on their phones. Oh, if the ferry had sunk then and there, I'd have been okay with it. I'd be, I'd be mad about my life, but to see the rest of them go. Uh, look, even if, uh, really, if the ferry sinks in the harbour, I think most of us are getting out of it. I'm just glad all of those phones are gone. I'm glad there's no, I'm glad they're going to have to go out again and, and re-record it. God forbid they forget what was on the harbour bridge in 2023. Oh, it was Lights. Oh, it was random assertions of lights. Oh, okay. Well, you're going to want to remember that, aren't you? Everybody, everybody had. Anyway, um, we uh, we we went uh, we we went down to to the harbor. We navigated through Circular Key through just oh god, just so many people. So I I was in the midst of a of a panic attack at the time. That's not true. Panic attacks too strong. I was I was I was pretty I was pretty deep into some. Some anxiety. This is the thing. I said this before. Like I, when I was at university and dabbling in uh, mind altering drugs, oh, vivid was everything I ever thought life could be. And now I had half a weed edible on Friday and I was just in a pit of despair by Sunday. I'm so, am am I getting weaker as the world getting harder or are they both just happening at the same time? Like some kind of uh, depressive double helix. I don't know. It was it was it was not kind, but what was nice was being surrounded by all of those people in Circular Key, and as much as the fucking just weaving in and out of parents buying horrible plastic memorabilia bullshit for their kids to shut them up for three hours, it it was a reminder of like oh yeah, all of our problems are totally meaningless. Because for all we know, in 12 hours from now, 30 people are going to die on a bus and it's going to make all of my, <laughs> my horse shit feel like nothing. Yeah, I know you lost a lot of friends and family the day after the most important day of your life. Uh, but uh, keep in mind, I had to record a substandard podcast yesterday. So we're all going through stuff, aren't we? <laughs> oh, a few observations from Vivid. Um Number one, well, we, we did the thing like uh, we went through the Botanic Gardens, which you have to pay to enter now, used to be free. Um, and look, all of my experiences yesterday, whether it be the, at, at Vivid, whether it be the food that I ate uh, or the light installations that I saw, um, it was a combination of uh, excessively expensive and incredibly average experiences. Like not, not bad but average. We went to the James Squire uh, gastro pub thing down in Circular Quay. James Squire, like the craft beer brew house, and you can get food. And it was like twenty nine dollars for a burger. And they were basically playing a game of how bad could we make this food before anyone complains, and they nailed it. They really just landed on the perfect balance of, like, this is totally fine and not a smidge more. When you're sitting there and you're eating a burger and you're, like, you've got a nice enough view and you've paid $30 for the privilege where you're, like, this seems like a fair exchange, I guess. This is what I would do. I would – you don't need (laughs) – this, like, good enough is good enough almost always and – it's about time more people recognised it. So fair play to the, to the Squire Brewery um, for, for taking as much away from me as they possibly could while giving as little as they have to. And that's exactly how I felt about the Botanic Gardens at Vivid as well. Because I thought for a while Vivid was like artists trying to use an interesting medium to express themselves in a way that they wouldn't have been able to before this festival existed. And now it's just like, just put some fucking colourful lights out there and blast some music. They, there was one of those um, – there was a uh, display that was um, paired with that Hans Zimmer Inception track, Time. Do you remember that? Thinking. Speaking of things that I used to get blasted stone to and listen to a lot, um, Time by Hans Zimmer was one of them. And um, I think me at 22 years of age uh, on the couch in my parents' rumpus room had more – meaningful experiences to that than anything they tried to recreate at the Botanic Gardens yesterday. They literally were just like, hey, can you just get some gas-powered uh, flame tiki torches um, and, uh, and and a UE boom? And I reckon that's at least one exhibit done. Oh, by the way, it's going to be $45 to get in. $45 to get in. You know what you're really paying for when you go to the Royal Botanic Gardens of Vivid this year is just to be less crowded, to... to, to to have room to move at your own pace and to limit your exposure to COVID-19. That's all you're paying for. And look, and this is how I feel about people in general. I don't know if it was a bad move financially on my part. Then I spent I spent $8 on a Mr. Whippy dipped in nuts. God. There are just some times... You know when people... When, when people are just fleecing you because they know they can, and you know they can too because you let them. That was what my day was yesterday, and it made me feel so much better. It brought me back from the brink. Something about late-stage capitalism saved me from an uh, undeniable anxiety attack that was about to take place. Vivid saved my life last night. <laughs> Oh God! Here's the other big thing I noticed how how frightening a teenage boy is. I am so glad that I don't have anything most teenage boys want. God damn it! Oh man, I couldn't imagine being a teenage girl. I saw this the other day: if, a, a big group of teenage boys, and seeing a single girl there among them by choice just lowered my my heart rate by a good thirty percent. Like, okay, maybe I'm a, maybe I'll be safe. Something about just even the mildest female presence that really just okay maybe these boys won't beat the shit out of me because if there was no woman there if it was just six men six six young men it's a it's a flip of the coin as to whether or not they're going to take it out on you for whatever it is that they're unha- unsatisfied with just the world at large. Speaking of fear, um, I was I was in a Messina the other day. I know, I know that's exactly where you thought that story was going to lead towards. I was, um, look, I, this is what I have written down in my notebook for this part of the podcast: is uh, seeing a homeless at, at Messina, and uh, I'm going to deliver on it. Boy, am I! Um, I mean, really, is nowhere sacred anymore. If you can't keep the homeless out of Messina, that was a sanctuary for a little while. That's what I get for going to a Messina in Darlinghurst. You got to, you got to keep. You got to keep to your eastern suburbs, your bondis. That's where you want to that's where you want a Messina. You don't want to be going into your Surrey Hillses and your Kings Crosses. That's dangerous territory. You can't enjoy a a, a scoop of macadamia flavored ice cream in peace when you're that close to the coke sign, you're asking for trouble. I this is what okay. This this is I'm I'm not even going to lie to you now, podcast listeners. And when I say that I am going to lie it just a little, but not much. Um, I was in Gelato Messina at 5 p.m. on a Saturday night, dressed in golfing attire uh, with a, a four-pack of non-alcoholic beers under one arm and uh, a packet of lentil chips under the other. This is what happens when we start dissuading young boys from calling each other gay as an insult, isn't it? This is all we've wanted to do from the very outset. All I wanted was some high-class ice cream and the taste of beer without any of the effects. But I couldn't get away with it for the first 29 years of my life. But now, now the doors have opened and I've never felt more accepted. (laughs) This is what all those Mardi Gras were for. Um, So I'm standing in Messina, uh, reflecting on my short game for the day. (laughs) Thinking about how good these lentil chips will go down with a... A big sip of uh, of heaps normal. And uh, in walks this homeless guy who just starts talking to anyone who will listen. Who, given everyone else in there is middle class and white, was nobody. We didn't want any of this. Sir, so I am trying to ignore the plight of my fellow man right now. Uh, I'd really appreciate it if you didn't ask me what I had planned for the weekend uh, I don't like answering that question to people on my level. <laughs> That's so rude. Fuck. I've, I've always tried to really nail down my relationship with homeless people because it's it's so confronting, isn't it? Because this guy was quite a nice one. This guy was was quite pleasant for the most part. Before that, I'd walk up past a guy just in the absolute throes of whatever the best part of smoking meth is. Um which I mean, based on the people, based on how much people seem to enjoy meth, it might be hard to narrow it down to the best part. There's probably there's probably lots to love about it. At the time, um, <laughs> this guy was just openly giggling to himself on the side of the road, walking down the side of the road, just just giggling in a kind of Chucky doll, uh, you know, my my most hated genre of horror movie, which is evil child sort of way. Evil oh, evil child, that scares me. There's that scene in the butterfly effect where Ashton Kutcher is like back in his young self and it's him at nine years old holding a, a butcher's knife in the kitchen or walking towards his mother. What do you do? I mean, you can't, you just, because you don't even really have the option to beat the shit out of that child. And if you do, he's just going to wait till you're asleep. Um, anyway, I saw a guy giggling, walking down the street just off his face on something. Uh, that I would deem too cheap to put in my body. That's really the only, the only distinguishment between him and I. And um, and yet, even though this guy was had the biggest smile I've ever seen on anything, my first instinct is like, this guy's going to king hit me for sure. This guy's gonna, this guy resents me and my Volkswagen Golf, and he's going to take it out on the back of my head. <laughs> then, um, I, there's something about like the the real the real the real homeless you know what I mean the ones who who even if they had a home they wouldn't be able to find it by now because their minds are just in no 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 state um, the ones who who have you know the the less sexy mental disorders the ones we don't raise money for in November those kind of homeless guys it's very confronting isn't it it's a lot. It is a lot to take in. It's, you know, there are starving people in Africa. You know, there's a starving person down the road. I walked past them. And, you know, they're not going to spend any money to give them on food. They're just going to spend it on hunger suppressants. Um, it is it is a lot. I kind of feel like if, if the Australian government was like, look, okay, we have a bit of a homeless issue. In, it wouldn't have to be the Australian government. It'd probably be like Sydney. If you know the city of Sydney was like, guys, we we got a bit of a homeless issue here, um, and I know we're all very uncomfortable about it. So here's what we can do: either uh, we can spend a lot of public time, money, and resource in understanding the mental conditions. That to underline these people, trying to understand what we can do to reestablish them as healthy, functioning members of society. It's going to be a long time, and there will be some hiccups along the way. It's going to be very costly, but we feel that we can rehabilitate a lot of these people. And the ones we can't, we can at least take care of so they have a good quality of life. Or if everyone promises to block their ears and close their eyes, we'll just take care of it. <laughs> if you guys, if everyone can just turn around, can everyone just turn around? For, for a couple of hours. We'll, we'll, you will be amazed how spotless these streets can be by this time tomorrow. And I think just about 97% of us would go, oh, okay, shh, sh- all right. Hey, shh. Everyone. I, does, anyone, does anyone want to borrow a blindfold? I use it to help me sleep at night. It's the other thing I use to help me sleep at night in, uh, in addition to forgetting about these poor men and women's plight. Only 97% of us, because the other 3% would be like, I'd, actually, I'd like to watch if it's not too much trouble. If you don't mind, I'd actually like to see how you're going to handle this in case we have to do it again and I can get my hands dirty. Um, <laughs> I, I like to say that I'm saying this with the utmost. I don't know if it's respect. Self-awareness, is that the right word? Oh, What else did I have? Uh, I think that's it. I think that's just about it. Guys, you're going to have to trust me when I say this is a huge improvement on what I did yesterday. I'm feeling good about it. I thought like this was a good decision this is what I do for you guys this is what this is what I'm willing to how many podcasts you think Joe Rogan is saying to his mates you think Joe Rogan is saying to, to Ben Shapiro and Jordan Peterson hey mate we're going to have to take two on this one hope you don't mind I don't know maybe uh, but hey hope you've enjoyed the episode and uh, that's it I'll chat to you next time I'll show some respect Tom Whitcomb is talking have a great one